Hello and welcome to Bob Dylan American Shakespeare, brought to you in conjunction with Crystal Pier Records by me, Rich Evans. And me, Mark Walsh. This is the podcast where we usually take a look back at each of Bob Dylan's officially recorded albums and you know the rest. But we're doing something a little bit different today, aren't we, Rich? Do you want to explain? We are indeed, yes. Uh, I can I can hear the sound of of sleigh bells in the distance okay it's it's that time of year again it must mean that it's christmas we did a christmas special last christmas and naturally it was written about in the new york times and things like that so it really made quite a stir so we thought we would uh, follow hot on the heels of it and uh, and do something different yeah well no i was going to say last time we looked at uh, christmas in the heart didn't we but um we did oh, of course we did yeah, yeah 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 bob dylan hasn't put out another christmas album in the last 12 months so um, it's Just a disappointment to all of us. <laughs> so we've decided this year to kind of base our approach on a on an article that was in the Guardian, actually, wasn't it, mate? Do you want to just talk us through that? Yeah, so uh, um, the Guardian, the world's leading liberal voice, but they do talk about pop culture occasionally. And there was an article in there last month on gateway albums to get into the greatest artists. And they picked a whole bunch of people and got their staff writers to think about which album they would recommend to introduce a neophyte to that artist. So they had a whole bunch of people covered, uh, but they did include Bob Dylan in it. And they actually chose Bringing It All Back Home as the album which they would select to introduce someone to Bob Dylan. And the basis for it really was that it covers that electric stuff and it also has some of his most iconic acoustic performances. So that was their rationale for picking Bringing It All Back Home. So what we thought we'd do is we'd have a little chat about, based on the albums that we've been listening to over the last nearly two years now, we're almost up to the end of the 70s, Rich, believe it or not. We thought Two we bloody think, years, mate. Two bloody years. Goodness me. <laughs> we thought out of those Three days better than the next. Is <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that Christmas spirit's coming through <laughs> loud and clear. <laughs> yeah, so we thought, we thought we'd critique that a little bit and we'd pick the albums that we would recommend as a Christmas present. If you were going to be giving somebody who was desperate to get into Bob Dylan a Christmas present, what album would you pick? As that's that's present? good there, mate. Yeah, we've, we've got the link now to Christmas, you see. I like the way that you established that. Otherwise, it was very random, wasn't it? Okay, it was. yeah, as, as a Christmas present. Well, why don't you kick off then? What would you give to, to someone who, who you wanted to get into Bob Dylan, who was old enough to maybe appreciate Bob Dylan, but hadn't encountered him before? Yeah, well, I think that's the key thing, isn't it? First, The first caveat we need to put out there is that it's a really bad idea to buy people Christmas presents based on your own personal obsessions. So I'm not advocating that anyone does go out and buy somebody a Bob Dylan record for Christmas if they don't want one. But let's assume that somebody had asked you to uh, select a Bob Dylan record to buy them for Christmas. Then um, I think, I actually think bringing it all back home is a very good shout. We talked about this, I think, when we did bring in it all back home in the dim and distant past. Obviously, as The Guardian said in their little piece, you've got that split between the electric first side and the acoustic second side. As Robert Shelton said, I think I mentioned this on our podcast several months ago as well, that second side where you've got uh, Mr. Tambourine Man, Gates of Eden, It's All Right, Ma, and Baby Blue. For Robert Shelton, that would, was still the, the, the one side of music that he would have put before somebody and said this is why you should like Bob Dylan and there's a lot to be said for that so I, I don't think it's a bad choice at all and for many years it was the the album that I did actually recommend to people whenever anyone asked me what should I listen to but I do think there are some arguments against it as the best choice as well and the largest one that I can come up with is that that first side 
for all its kind of revolutionary impact, it does have a lot of filler. Okay, you've got subterranean homesick blues. Okay, you've got those lovely arrangements of things like Love Minus Zero. But are you really going to be hoping that somebody's going to be grabbed by Outlaw Blues the first time they listen to it and think this man's the greatest genius of the 20th century? Are they even going to get to uh, Mr. Tambourine Man if, if they stumble across that one? I don't know. So I would hesitate ever so slightly just on that basis. Yeah, I think you're right. I was never as much of a fan of this uh, of that record as you were, I don't think. And I think it's important that we kind of just, we're almost in a bit of a time machine here, aren't we? <clears throat> in so many ways. But, um, <laughs> but of course, now it would be a case of what songs are you going to tell someone to stream? We're imagining that we're actually buying them a physical copy of this album. So there's an investment here. I wouldn't go with uh, with bringing it all back home. I, For the reasons that you've said, I agree with this. I do think there's filler on this. My choice would be Highway 61. It's interesting that when we started this whole process, I said that my favourite Bob Dylan record was Highway 61. I would still recommend that as an album for someone who I think had not heard Bob Dylan before. I think it comes in with an absolute kind of blitzkrieg with Like a Rolling Stone. And it never really loses that kind of frantic lyricism um, and that onslaught of kind of musicality. And then it goes out with Desolation Row. I mean, right the way through, it grabs you in the most magnificent way. And it's just this sensory onslaught. I mean, the imagery, the writing, everything's just perfect. It's so energetic and it's very close to my heart as an album anyway. But I just think, my goodness me, if you can't like Bob Dylan after listening to that album, then there's something wrong with you. There you go. I've said it. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. Although the idea of someone blasting out Tombstone Blues at ten o'clock on Christmas morning is probably not uh, <laughs> probably not an image I want to I want to stick with for too long. Um, no, you, you, you're not wrong, Rich. Uh, I'll, I'll grant you that. But the the only and, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't quibble with that as a choice at all. But the only thing that would give me a little bit of pause is that it's a very particular side of Bob Dylan you get in with that album, isn't it? As you say, you've got that incredible wordplay. You've got that assault of the um, it's the Bloomfield Band, isn't it? That are largely yeah. backing him on that, and you end up with Desolation Row, which I suppose. You know, we talked about this before, didn't we, about the, um, the way in which this idea that there's a trilogy of bringing it all back home, Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde, is is a bit flawed. And that actually, Highway 61 is very, very different from bringing it all back home and actually from Blonde on Blonde. So, that you know, you've got that Desolation Row in a way almost almost closes that chapter of, uh, of Dylan's career. And it's a very particular moment in time. It's Bob Dylan as that first rock star showing what could be done with this new form, really, which was rock music. So it wouldn't be a bad choice at all. But I think you could argue that either Three Wheeling or Blood on the Tracks would be better choices than an intro. Because I think... Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm just before you you, you launch into that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I should say I'm not as precious about these kind of things as I used to be many years ago. And so... I will totally take people uh, disagreeing with that. And I think what you've just said, we've talked quite a lot about people wearing masks or sorry, Bob Dylan wearing masks over the various episodes that we've done. And I totally agree with that. This is him wearing the mask of the kind of embryonic rock star at a particular point in time. And I think 
I was very impressionable when I first listened to this record and that was the Bob Dylan that really appealed to me. And I do completely acknowledge the fact that that might not be the Bob Dylan that everyone wants to listen to. Also, the kind of sensory onslaught and the bombardment which this uh, album has might not work for everyone. I mean, when I first listened to it, I'd been listening to a lot of punk music and stuff like that. So my ears were kind of attuned to that. Whereas um, if you've grown up with kind of more, hesitate to use the phrase, easy listening sensibilities, then this might not be an easy listen. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And I, I think that's why I would I initially veered towards Blood on the Tracks. And actually now, if somebody asks me what, what Bob Dylan album should I listen to, I would go for Blood on the Tracks because I think it's as consistent in its quality as any of Bob Dylan's great records. I mean, you know, we're splitting hairs here, aren't we? I mean, yeah, bringing course, it all back home is a fantastic record, obviously. But in terms of that evenness of quality, I think Blood on the Tracks has that even more than the other great records, even though I'm not going to say that means it's better necessarily in a, you know, an objective sense. But I think there's that to it. I think it's more accessible musically. It's that it's got that kind of, I don't know, that kind of 70s soft rock vibe, hasn't it? Which comes from the the uh, the Minneapolis stuff that he does. But it's done in in a Dylan-esque way. So it's still got the bite, it's still got the incredible emotional content, that sliver of anger and regret that runs through a lot of it. I suppose it's the regret and the uh, the anger that sort of play off each other to make it such a special album. Um, and I think all of that stuff's relatable to anybody, regardless of their previous history with you know whatever kind of music they've been listening to. Yeah, and I think you've got a slightly more, well, you have got a more mature Bob Dylan. So you're sort of laying the foundation, I think, for whatever else they go on to listen to. It's contained within that album, I would say. Yeah, well, I think I'd be pretty happy giving either of those albums to someone for Christmas, <laughs> if the truth be known. We were just very, very quickly actually going to reflect a little bit on what we've sort of experienced ourselves through this process so far. Just very swiftly, the album that we have kind of has gone up in our estimations the most since doing this. So, I mean, I'm not going to go into it in a big way. I'm not going to justify it massively. But I think for me, it's probably Street Legal. Street Legal was one that I hadn't known very much about and I really rather like it as an album now on balance. And so I'd say that over all of the ones that we've listened to, that's probably the one that has kind of gone up most in my estimations. What about you, mate? Yeah, it's funny that. I suppose because I had more of a a history of Street Legal, I would say actually that's one of the ones that's probably gone down a little bit in my personal listing as a result of a re-listing exercise. The ones that have gone up, I think actually John Wesley Harding might be the one that's mm. that's gone up the most for me. I mean, it was never an album that I didn't love, but I always put it on the level just below my favourite records. Whereas I think the experience of listening to it again and again and again, I think that is one of the albums that really benefits from that approach. There's so much of it that's connected so much there's, there's such a cohesive sound to it i think it really benefits from that intense listening process that we've been giving to these albums yeah probably more than a lot of the other records although when i say that perhaps i'm just biased by the fact that with things like blonde on blonde i've got such familiarity with them anyway that it was really hard to to, to, to come to them in any kind of fresh sense whereas john wesley Harding just being a little bit below that level of familiarity i was able to really dive into it in a new way and I'd now put it absolutely on the top tier of records 
uh, with all those other ones that we've, we've been talking about already. Although I definitely wouldn't be putting that in somebody's Christmas stocking. <laughs> no, I don't. I think that's a fair enough point. And what about ones that have gone? I mean, you mentioned a couple that have gone down in your estimations. For me, I think it's probably Hard Rain, which I kind of I liked aspects of, but I mean, as we discussed on on um, when we were talking about this as an album, the sort of sludgy, muddy sound, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and complete lack of cohesion. I think that's probably the one that while it hasn't necessarily gone down much in my estimations, it's just kind of confirmed it's rather lowly status. Definitely not a stocking filler. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you definitely don't want to be putting that in anybody's stocking. <laughs> well, I think I was pretty clear at the time, but I didn't really get along with Nashville Skyline this time around. That's it's quite a while ago, but we did that episode now, isn't it? Um, yeah. So I've had time to mellow a little bit. But even so, I just find it such a slight album. The, the highlights are so transient. And the things that annoy me are so pervasive that I just think it's 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 definitely slipped down. I would have I think when we started this process, I would have put John Wesley Harding and Nashville Skyline on the same level. Now I'm not gonna say Nashville Skyline's a bad album by any means, because it isn't, but it's slipped down my personal list a long yeah. way as a result of this process. It's interesting, isn't it? So well there we kind of go really uh, mark is not going to be eating country pie for christmas i think it's fair to say on the back of that uh so we're going with our recommendations i suppose either highway 61 or indeed blood on the tracks probably no surprises there to you guys out there who are listening to this it's a bit of a moot point anyway because these days we mentioned previously this idea of choice paralysis that people have. So you can choose whatever you want and you can stream it all at the uh, the drop of a hat. But there we go. Those are our, our kind of recommendations for Christmas. Ones to steer clear of, potentially, Nashville skyline and indeed hard rain. But um, that probably leaves us to say Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. We will look forward to uh, speaking to you more in 2023. Anything to add, mate? Just wishing everybody all the best for a, a very happy Merry Christmas. And um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure doing these podcasts. I'm still absolutely astonished that anybody actually listens to us. And the fact that we sometimes get responses is just mind-blowing so thank you very very much and we'll see you in 2023 absolutely yeah we're very humbled by all of your uh, your kind words etc and uh yeah we will see you in the twitter sphere if we don't see it beforehand all right merry christmas Bye.